off the job. They began a five-day strike today. They want a 35% pay raise to compensate for what they describe as years of being underpaid. The government calls this unreasonable. Negotiations broke down in December. This will cause disruption in the nationalized health service, with about half the doctors in the nation's hospitals on strike through Wednesday. I'm Nora Rahm, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Cigna Healthcare, a health benefits provider that advocates for better health through every stage of life. Learn more at Cigna.com. And listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. It's a beautiful sunny morning here on the Augustana College campus. You're just in time, friends, for a conversation with this week's guest, Bob Gallagher, mayor of the city of Bettendorf. I'm Kai Swanson. I hope you'll join us here on Quad Cities Public Radio as we while away the hour, check in on the composer's date book, and who knows what else. All ahead on Saturday Morning Live, portions recorded. Well, Bob Gallagher, what a treat to have you with us this morning. Your Honor, I should probably start out by saying that. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Guy. I'm happy to be here. Well, appreciate it, the offer. It's you. You know, when when Don first asked me a long time ago to think about doing this, I made this list of all the people that I had to talk to, or it would not even be worth the enterprise. And you're you were on that list because, <laughs> well, you're now the dean, right, of of Quad Cities Mayors. I don't Certainly, think the five of yeah. the larger cities. Yeah, I've yeah. been the longest serving. We've got one out in Milan who's oh, been there sure, for like Dwayne. 35 years. Dwayne's an awesome dude. Yes, he is. And I apologize, Dwayne Dawson, for not thinking. Of you, I think he was. A, I think he was mayor when I was reporting. Oh, like probably about 150 years ago. <laughs> He's well over 30. He may be approaching 40. Yeah, that's right. Well, so we're going to get to all the the mayoral stuff <laughs> in in just a little bit. But I got I I am very uh, honest in, in, in expressing gratitude to you because I get to see you around a lot, and I always. I, I always feel better for having been in a meeting with you because you'll take the right perspective or you'll keep us on the track and all this kind of stuff. But I've never had a chance to, to find out a little bit more about Bob Gallagher. And that's what I'm looking forward to today. So I'm going to dive right in, Bob. Where'd you grow up? And uh, uh, we'll get to the other stuff later, but let's start there. Well, thank you for the kind words. I, yeah. We do get to serve on uh, some boards together, and that is enjoyable for me as well. Well, surprise, surprise, I grew up in a little town called Bettendorf, Iowa. Love it. Yeah, from six months on, uh, I lived in Bettendorf. Went to Bettendorf High School, graduated in 1987, um, went a little further west to Iowa City, where I got a couple of degrees, and then went to law school at Marquette University in Milwaukee. Thought I would go to the big city and never come home. And what you learn when you go to the big city is home is really cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, I knew you went to law school. I didn't realize it was Marquette. What a great school. It is, yeah. And a great community. It's a wonderful community. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, couldn't wait to get back here. So what was it that tripped your uh, interest in, in law as a potential calling in life? So my father was a lawyer mm -hmm. and came back to work with him. But throughout my um, 
younger years, he would tell me, don't be a lawyer. These are all the things that are difficult <laughs> about being a lawyer. And I thought maybe I would like to be a clinical psychologist. So did a little job shadowing and thought, you know, there's a lot of problems and some really dark tunnels. Maybe I'll help people as a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we certainly deal with uh, folks who have problems. That's yeah. that's why we're in business is right. to help people. And I really enjoy that part of the work. Um, and you know, I think we've been able to to learn how to maybe navigate through some of those things about the practice that aren't the best. You know, yeah. asking for money and doing the stuff in the office. I'm I'm better when I'm talking to people. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, when I was in like junior high, whenever it was that we read To Kill a Mockingbird, sure, I wanted to be Atticus Finch. I thought that's that's the the path right yeah. there. But then, you know, uh, through high school, I started to realize that not every lawyer gets to be Atticus Finch. <laughs> <laughs> not many do. That's right. Yeah, but and, I do enjoy that part of my my practice is going yeah. to court. Yep. And that whole notion of helping people. That's uh, it. That's a big deal. And then, so what did you do for an undergrad major? I'm always curious about stuff like that. Psychology and, com really? yep, and communication studies, a double major. So that kind of dovetailed into you better do something after your four-year degree because that's not going to get you a job. <laughs> but it's going to build you a foundation. It did. Yeah, it did. those communication skills, those things that you learn about human behavior. I mean, that's that's invaluable. Yeah. And then, uh, so uh, at what point, though, did you say, well, better get that LSAT uh, prep going? Probably my junior year. Was it? Yeah. I was kind of looking at, at, as I said, clinical psychology and maybe doing that kind of work. And, and, and they parallel so well together because a lot of what I do is counsel people uh, who are having difficulties or a problem or something that we can maybe help solve or some behavior we can maybe change so that we don't come back to see the lawyer again, right. whether it's in business, uh, you know, putting in the right policies so we can avoid discrimination or other things, or maybe it's a divorce or maybe uh, it's an OWI. There are certain things that we might be able to say, you know, let's let's talk through this and evaluate those decisions and maybe we can make some changes in yeah. our behavior so you don't have to come back and see me. Well, you see, I really, that's intriguing me because uh, a lot of times I'll talk to friends who are attorneys and that part gets left off. You know, how can we remediate, you know, yeah. leave it better than when we found it? And and I like that attitude. I know I get to work right next door to uh, an attorney, the college's general counsel, Sherry Curran. You probably know uh, her and her spouse, we Chris. We share a, a boundary <laughs> in our homes. <laughs> and uh, she's taught me so much about how to think uh, about things, not just in terms of uh, risk avoidance, but risk exploitation. How can we take best advantage of entrepreneurial risk, right? And and uh, the thought process is what I really uh, uh, respect about the, the the legally trained mind. So hmm. yeah. Now, while you're up in in Marquette, uh, drinking very good beer and having some of the best sausages you're ever going to have, in and life, cheese, you bet, and cheese. <laughs> what prompted you to think about coming back here? Well, I think as we. Uh started to think about our future and where we'd like to raise kids, how we'd like to spend our time. It was a no-brainer to come back to Bettendorf and yeah. the Quad City area. Yeah, The great things that we offer here, I think, um, parallel anywhere, but it's the people. Yeah. I really love the people here. And yeah. it's, it, we're just, we're just a different breed. And I think the, you know, with our work together on Visit Quad Cities, we hey. talk about this a lot. Yeah. How do we get people to come to our area so that we can introduce them to the people? Right. That might open their mind to say, I'll come over and look at that job. I might want to start a business here. I might visit more often and maybe find a way to 
move here. You yeah. know, that's what we need. We need people. And I think it's the people here who will help us bring people. Now, part of that is helping raise up the next generation of leaders. And part of your career has long been about youth development. Uh, how did you get into coaching? Were you a uh, wrestling we're talking about? Were you a wrestler yourself? Yeah, not a very good one, but I was a wrestler. Um, then when I was at uh, law school, I mm-hmm. coached for five years at Marquette High. Did you really? I did. A cool. Jesuit school, 900 yeah. boys. Yeah. It was about six blocks away from my uh, apartment at the time. So loved that. Came home and started officiating in the uh, surrounding areas here. And then there was an opening at Petnorf High School where I had wrestled. So I went back and helped who was my assistant coach kind of revamp that program and got to coach some good kids. My son was about five or six, so I did that for five years during my son's first five or six years, and then I started coaching youth wrestling and coached youth wrestling for probably 12 to 15 years. Wow. I still announce those wrestling meets at mm-hmm. Bettendorf High School, and I get to come over here to Augie yeah. this year, just this year and uh, announce meets for Coach Willard. How do you like the new wrestling facility at Augie? I like it. It's yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, I think it's forward-thinking to use some space that wasn't being used at least yeah. for that kind of a, right. a, 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 it's great. It's, yeah. It used to be the swimming pool. Yeah. Yeah. And right, of course the, the pool got. Replaced. We got a new pool. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so it's a little more intimate and it's a great opportunity um, for folks to see great wrestling. See, we thought great, about leaving, small the, you know, you could have left the pool sports. there as a, as a cavity and made four dimensional wrestling. So, but, <laughs> yeah, <we thought laughs> well, it was leaking pretty bad if, I'm, if, yeah, if right. I'd been told the right things. Exactly. Well, I'm grateful for that and all that you do, but uh, you know, I, I was a wrestler for one year and I, it taught me a great deal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a reminder that, uh, you know, you, your capacity might exceed your uh, expectation or your your self expectation, sure. and it's okay to stretch yourself a little bit. So I'm I'm sure that the young people you've been mentoring got a lot out of that. Well, I hope so. I think it taught me a lot. It taught yeah. me a lot about self reliance and about hard work. Certainly, you're on a team, but there's nobody but you in the center of the mat with yeah. the bright lights when it's time to go. And um, I think it's more about getting prepared for the performance right. that helps you in life. Right. I just came across a quote by Lincoln. Okay. He, he said, you give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend four sharpening the axe. Okay. That's all about preparation. I like right? it. That's sure. not a good one. Now, did you ever read John Irving, the guy who wrote The World According to Garp, uh, Cider House Rules? I don't know if you've ever read any of his novels. At some point in time in college, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, back in the yep. 80s. He was very much bigger then, I think, but he was a New England guy and he was passionate about wrestling. And so wrestling figures in a lot of his books, and for instance, Garp, if you see the movie with Robin Williams, there is a scene, there's a wrestling meet underway, and the ref on the, the the ref is played by John Irving, the novelist. He actually got a cameo. That's great. Oh yeah. So anyway, he just, he takes, uh, he, it's much, you know, people think, well, wrestling, they're just out there grappling. It's a thinking sport and you gotta, you gotta have your, your mind in the right place. Absolutely. uh, Just as much as your body. So that's, yeah. Now, what on earth? Bob, possessed you <laughs> to lay yourself before the slings and arrows of local government. Now, tell me about the thought process that got you engaged uh, and then running for mayor. You know, um, looking back, I'm not exactly sure, but I can kind of t- t- bring you through the surrounding mm-hmm. um, thought process. My parents were both very involved in the community as I grew up. That was just something that I think I was expected to do to give back. And when I came to, uh, back to Bettendorf, I was helping coach wrestling. As we talked about, I was very involved in the Bettendorf chamber of commerce. Um, I was involved in volunteering for different organizations. And as the prior mayor, 
uh, made it clear that he wasn't going to run again, we kind of saw some folks coming out of the woodwork and I uh, started thinking about what that might mean if somebody were to be elected like the folks that I would, that I initially ran against and thought, boy, we, uh, we need to keep this city going in the right direction because it really was in the right direction. So I formed a little committee, talked to some friends, Kim Guy, who was my campaign manager and still is, she works with Have Life, does all kinds of great things. Um, and, uh, we got together and said, let's put this thing, let's put this thing together. We can make this work. So got the right people behind it and, and ran for mayor to your point. You, when you put yourself out there, you still really don't know how difficult it can be with the slings and the arrows you know about, Mm -hmm. uh, your wife knows about. It's just not, uh, I never thought it was going to get down to the level of small city, as I call it, you know, politics. Right. You know, I thought it'd stay in, let it stay in D.C., yeah. Maybe even in Des Moines, but it's everywhere. It, it is everywhere. And it's so it, frustrating. Yeah, but, you know, I, I it's taught me a lot. And I'm sure it's taught you a great deal, too. I mean, it's made me a little more uh, introspective. I want to make sure that my positions are right, because once I make that decision, and subject to change, we you, have to, be, you have to be flexible, but you you got to be ready to say, you know, uh, I, I hear you. I, I think you're, you're making a, a valuable point, but I'm about the best solution for the most people. Absolutely. Right? And and you got to be willing to stick by that. And, and I it, think you yeah. can yeah. if you really do the homework yes. and feel strongly. Right. right? And, and I'm fine with those folks who come and talk about policy or talk about decisions. What, I, what I'm frustrated with is the arrows for no reason yeah. and the lies yeah. and the things that people do just to help. Uh, to, to try to damage you or your yeah. reputation. It's just yeah. very frustrating that that has seeped into local politics. Well, the nice thing, though, is about being a local kid, you and I are both local kids, I grew up in Rock Island, yep. is that uh, sometimes when for an agenda they try to come at you or personality, you've got enough people in Bettendorf who knew who know who Bob Gallagher is. It, it It's kind of hard to stick. And, you know, yeah. they've been in just, in the, the counties, I think, it's totally different. It's We're not as much a part of people's daily lives, so it surprises me that people get so worked up. But when they come at me, at least, you know, I've been here long enough, and I've made all kinds of mistakes, but at least they know the, kid, all have. the kid's heart's in the right place. Yeah. You know, so give them a little bit of a slack. So, all right, we're going to come back to this. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. In fact, friends, if you're listening now, I'm going to tease you a little bit. We're bringing back a piece that hasn't been heard on this show in a long time, and you're going to want to stick around. In about 20 minutes, we'll hear that. But right now, it's time for The Composer's Datebook. This is The Composer's Datebook for February 24th. I'm John Burge. It's a play that both Aaron Copeland and Leonard Bernstein wanted to make into an opera, but the playwright always said no. We're talking about our Town by Thornton Wilder, a nostalgic but bittersweet look at life and love and death in Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, set in the early 1900s, complete with white picket fences, boy meets girl, and a drugstore soda counter. It wasn't until decades after Wilder's death in 1975 that the executor of the Wilder estate, after a long search for just the right composer for an Our Town opera, settled on Ned Roram and a libretto crafted by the poet, J.D. McClatchy, who also happened to be an authority on Wilder's works. Roram was in his 80s when the opera premiered, on today's date in 2006, at the Opera Theater of the Jacobs School of Music in Bloomington, Indiana. 
The New York Times thought the resulting opera a success, writing, Our town opens with a hymn, and Mr. Roram retained and refracted the familiar melody, turning pat modulations slightly bitter as if the music were heard through a lens of nostalgia that turned it sepia. This nostalgia proved a hallmark of the score. Composer's Datebook is produced by APM, American Public Media, in collaboration with the American Composers Forum, reminding you that all music was once new. And support for Composer's Datebook here on WVIK comes from the Quad City Symphony Orchestra, where access meets inspiration. The QCSO seeks to inspire, entertain, and engage the entire Quad Cities community through music, music education, and cultural leadership. You can learn more at qcso.org. My guest this week is Bob Gallagher. I haven't said that nearly enough. The mayor of the city of Bettendorf, also a community leader in so many spheres. But as we're talking about the QCSO, so I was just going to make a quick mention that uh, we had been talking before, Bob, that one of the commitments of this particular public radio station is to make sure that audiences here get to hear those QCSO concerts. And it's usually a couple, three weeks after the actual concert because we want people to go live. Absolutely. Right? But that's been a great treat of being a part of that for a few years. So That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad. I mean, think about all the cool things that we have in this area. We have a symphony orchestra. We are the smallest MSA with a symphony orchestra. And it's, and it's like great. Eighth oldest in America. You yeah. know that? I mean, because I mean, we never let it falter. That's Since awesome. 1916, we've been keeping it going. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And we've got a great family museum. Absolutely. So I will right, we'll talk a little bit more about Bettendorf, because okay. there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I uh, The family museum has been a part of so many lives in the Quad Cities. My kids went there for classes. Now they are, you know, uh, at, at the, the next generation, right? And now my spouse, as you know, used to be a part of the family museum and other great Bettendorf amenities. And now my grandkids are over there. It's yeah, so wonderful. much fun to watch. Good. I'm glad it's a yeah. family tradition. And thanks to Jenny for her hard work. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, the museum is going to undergo a new uh, exhibit called On the Road. It's a great exhibit, very interactive. You can, great example, you've got three generations of Swansons you can take over there <laughs> and go on your road trip and let them pick where they're headed, pack to get ready. Sure. It's going to be awesome. Sure. Well, and you were talking wrestling before. So my, my daughter, Jenny's uh, daughter, is uh, they're a Paul Norton Elementary family, but the house they own used to be owned by a, I think, a wrestling coach, because there's a wrestling room in their basement, Yeah, which so is awesome. They are in Davenport. They are north of the school. That was- but Bettendorf District. Yep. And that is uh, the Trezino's house, I ah, bet you, okay. or the Glens. They were yeah. both on the same street. I'm not going to give Both it away. wrestled at Iowa. Both <laughs> kids wrestled at Bettendorf and then Iowa. And they're back in our community. Paul Glenn isn't, Paul, he's in Chicago. But the yeah. Trezino boys are back here in Bettendorf coaching wrestling and doing great things. Isn't that great? Yeah. Great small town stuff. Now, this week you had your uh, State of the City address. I did. Which I got to tell you, I, I, most of these are streamed now, so I can see more than I can actually get to. No offense to any of your fellow mayors who are, to a person, great people. Sure. But yours is the most entertaining. 
I well, mean, I appreciate that. <laughs> we put a lot of work into it. We you try keep very it hard. You yeah. keep rolling. But you talked about some serious issues in that. Yeah, yeah. We, we got an opportunity to talk to a packed house down at the waterfront mm-hmm. about uh, 40, 45 minutes of very, as you said, uh, informative talk. It goes quick. But we've got challenges with budgets. We've got great things on the horizon. Um, you know, it, it's pretty good to be in Bettendorf right now. We got a really good team. It is, and I've yeah. I've, I've mentioned this to other friends on this show and other places. One, I, it does concern me uh, that I'm seeing that Iowa might be following a path Illinois went on in 1970 with the adoption of the new constitution. They went for a real low income tax because that's very popular, right? Sure. And the problem is though, there are certain services that cities need to provide. And so cities and schools and everybody else started just piling on the property taxes, which is Illinois' big hindrance now, is that our property taxes are too high because of over-reliance on that revenue source. Um, but I think the in Des Moines, they thought, well, I know, we'll short-circuit that. They've now put a cap on what uh, municipalities, school districts, others can can hope to derive from property taxes. Yeah. And I, I don't know, does that cause you concern, the revenue picture looking out 10, 15 years or so? Great concern, yeah. So yeah. there's really three basic changes over the last couple years from the Iowa uh, legislature relative to property taxes. And property taxes are by far the biggest source of revenue for a city to be able to do the things that we do, like pick up your trash and recycling and keep you safe and, you know, send the firefighter when you need it. So um, last year, they changed the formula on allowable growth a city can capture in revenue. So for instance, we had a pretty big year on the other side of the river last year. Yeah. A county-wide um, assessments went up like 17%, 18% residential, and 20% commercial. We can only capture a small portion of that, about almost 3%, for instance, in the city of Bettendorf, which is fine, but if your costs are for the same person are more than that 3% across the board, you can't pay that person right. or buy that right. cop right. car. This year, then, the state has ratcheted down the residential rollback it was 56.4 now it's 40 it's nine points yeah 54.6 down to Mm. 46.3 about nine points what that is is about 1.5 million dollars to the city uh they they played with some other exemptions as well suffice it to say $3 million of revenue from the city of Bettendorf is no longer there for us to pay those folks to do the great services that we provide. So we've got some choices to make, and we've heard our folks talk to us about safety and firefighters, and we've hired three new firefighters, six total, three of those were replacements, and we've got another three to, to add. So we're going to add nine new firefighters just so that we can stay up to date and uh, fully staff each shift on each uh, station. We got to pay for those guys, right? Right. Right. So this is a concerning move as it goes forward, um, because I think they're maybe not done. I think they're going to come after commercial property taxes. And what's interesting is there's only three cities in the entire state that have levy capacity in their general fund to pay workers. Right. We're one of them. Right. Nobody else has that capacity. Yeah. So. Yeah. This is really concerning moving forward. Well, and you think, you know, uh, if if farmers were to cap the amount of seed corn they keep artificially, they're not going to grow. 
You're, I mean, you're not going to be able to expand your operations. Sure. So anyway, I you're going to have to come back and we'll talk about this more because you'll probably be mayor for another 20 years. Well, we'll we've got three more on this term, so <laughs> let's keep our fingers crossed. Well, I wanted to talk to you about this, Bob. Uh, and and as our listeners know, uh, Jared, our wonderful general manager, is trying to find that right mix. And so this show now follows This American Life, which is a pretty deep and substantive show. It's some of the greatest radio journalism you're going to find. And I thought, we got to follow suit here. So I'm going to propose that we talk about something a little more in-depth that might seem superficial, but uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that. And and then I'm going to invite listeners to send their thoughts about uh, topics we should cover in the future. But I want to talk with you about the subject of happiness. And I don't mean fluffy, I feel good this morning because I've had three cups of coffee, you know, and then it passes. I mean happiness as a strategic advantage, as a tactical choice. Because when I see you in the community, uh, you've always got the positive attitude. It doesn't mean you're giddy every time I see you. And there's challenges that we all have to deal with. But I, I get the sense you approach those through the lens of positivity, and happiness. And so I'm just wondering, is that a conscious choice or is that just the way Bob Gallagher was wired from the minute he <laughs> popped out at St. Luke's or wherever it was? Yeah. I, actually, University of Iowa Hospital. Oh, okay. But, you know, <laughs> hey, I moved here at six months. That's right. No, I, um, I'm glad that you see that. And I'm not sure from where that comes. I'm tickled to know that that's what you think of me. Well, I mean, the, 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 the the quandary is uh, for me, I mean, in, in my own experience, I don't think you can truly appreciate those advantages of happiness unless you've had times in your life where there've been challenges. Oh, sure. And you've not been uh, disposed to happiness. And I also think a lot about what this writer, Sean Acor talks about. He's a neuroscientist at, in, in the Ivy League, is that if, you're, if your goal is happiness, you'll miss it. You, if that's your goal, you're not going to find it. You find sure. it by doing those next right things along the way, being putting yourself at service to others like you've done, right? And, right? and placing yourself in a community context where you see that your role is not to be, you know, the the top of the heap, but to be the one who serves those trying to get to the top of the heap. And then ACOR would submit, happiness comes along. I think that's probably true, right? Has that been your experience? Sure. I yeah. think you find things that you enjoy doing, whether it's for personal satisfaction or satisfaction of others, and you immerse yourself in doing those things that either make you feel good because you like whatever that activity may be, or you feel good because you're helping other people who yeah. um, might need that help. And to see uh, the steps in the... In the um, in the creation of something new and, yeah. and to really enjoy and celebrate the steps and the process, uh, you know, building yeah. a community, building a relationship, building a law practice. Yeah. I think there's some steps along the way. And I don't know. I think it's just the disposition of I'm going to get up today and I'm going to fight some more. I'm going to have some fun and yeah. I'm going to look at what I can do. Well, that's it. You have fun doing it. Yeah. Right. It's that intersection between what needs to be done and what gives you joy. Right. Well, there's a lot of things that aren't that much fun, but in that intersection of which you speak, yeah, yeah. you're looking forward to right. the accomplishment. How do we work together for yeah. that accomplishment? Well, your mention of a law firm. <clears throat> so Andy Rooney, I love this. He said, everyone wants to live on top of the mountain, but the happiness and growth occurs while you're climbing it. Oh, there's, we talked about wrestling before, and yeah. I, I really believe that that's where I not, learned some of those lessons. Not every kid's going to be a state champion. Well, and I, I was never going to be a state champion, yeah. <laughs> um, but- Learning those lessons, yeah. getting in that room, finding ways to be mentally tough in difficult situations, I think prepares you for life. Yeah. And this part of this conversation about life and about happiness, 
it isn't all roses every day. And there's certain things that I do every day that I don't like, but I really do try, I think, to, to see the gains in the process and keep your eye on the end prize. Yeah. Where well, can we be when we get there? And yeah. you may never get there. Yeah. It's enjoying the journey. Right. But even like you said, so a, a friend of mine suggested years ago, uh, first thing I do when I wake up is I make the bed. And does it make a big difference? Well, there were a few years in my life when I lived on my own. I never made that bed. I was with you. Yeah, I hear you. But if it gives my partner (laughs) an ounce of satisfaction, I don't put the pillows on the right way. Does your Jenny change the way you make the bed like my Jenny changes the way I make the bed? (laughs) I don't make it right, but I make it every morning. (laughs) Let me just say, I'm very cynical when it comes to these so-called sham pillows. The only thing right about sham pillows is their name. They're a sham. Sham. And I think if left to our own devices, there'd be about 35 of those on our bed. No room for me. But, <laughs> and I'll put maybe two on. But it's the act of making the bed. There's a great a uh, bit of a speech given at a graduation by uh, a military man about th- this exact topic. Really? Get up, make the bed. Make the bed. First thing you do every day. Yeah. You got an accomplishment under your belt. And I wish I can remember his name, but it's it's really well known. It's a little thing like that. And my aim isn't when I get up in the morning, I'm going to be the happiest guy I know today. That's not it. No. It would never work. And in fact- It's fake. Yeah. And uh, to make sure that we know it's classical thinkers as well as more recent, John Stuart Mill, of all people, said, if you ask yourself whether you are happy, you will cease to be so. <laughs> it's like it's like those eye trick puzzles. You sure. Know? If you're staring right at the middle, you're not going to see it. You got to look a little bit off to the Let your eyes get yeah. blurry and you yeah. can see the horse yeah. and uh, whatever. Yeah. But we're back to an earlier part of our conversation. There's a lot, there are parts of your day that can't be zippy skippy when you're dealing with uh, important decisions on municipal matters. And you're right, people want to have X, Y, and Z, uh, but they only want to pay uh, a, f- a fraction of what it costs. There's challenges. How There's you, always a challenge. How do you waltz through those? You know, I think it. It really is enjoying that journey, figuring out how you get to that next step in the process to find the end result, the end goal. And and sometimes I think it's maybe taking a look at that bigger picture, understanding that these little steps along the way are the difficult things and they're frustrating at times. And, you know, in government, you're trying to convince people to see things the way you see them, which isn't always easy and never happens 100% of the time. But if you can get the, you know... Everybody that I work with is really out for the good of the order. Right. Nobody's really saying, this is my deal. This is what I want. Yeah. They really do look at it. What's good for everybody. Right. Or at least a segment of everybody. And so you can have those deep conversations. You can work through difficult things and come out the other side knowing, all right, this is what people decided. That's over. I'm going to move on. And we're going to still keep our eye on that end goal. And and, and work together to get there. Right. And now that is something that we do have a little luxury about in local government. What what chills me to the bone is at the national level, we're seeing more and more, and it's at the state level too, but where people will take a dogmatic approach to something and no amount of logic on earth. I mean, what we're seeing with, you know- Unbelievable and so incredibly frustrating. Border policy. There was a a compromise dealt, and then one guy says, no, for the sake of dogma, you can't do that uh, because, you know, it's not going to be to our advantage. And and it- tanked everything. And we're seeing more of that on both sides, all sides at the the national level, but we don't see quite as much of that. I agree with what you're saying. You, if you can have a conversation with somebody and strip away motives and just talk about tactics, I mean, you're going to you probably get there. Yeah. We may disagree on, you know, how much to spend over here or how important this other item may be, but 
all in all, we can work together for the whole, right? right. There could be something that you really feel strongly about yeah. over on your left hand. And on my right hand, I feel really strongly about. But in the middle, we can solve 99% of the other problems together. Yeah. And I'll yeah. just let you have yours that time, and you'll let me have mine next time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's shake hands and go figure out the rest. Love it. Now, I know that you're the kind of person who derives a great deal of fulfillment from being of service, as you are as, as a mayor. But I'm curious, what other stuff do you do to feed that soul, that fire that you got going, that are outside of your legal professional career and your municipal leadership career? I mean, what kinds of things do you do to just keep plugging away? I like to spend time with family, yeah. my lovely wife and kids. And Yeah, tell me about your kids. They're, yeah. Uh, they're on their way, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Jackson is my son. He and Brenna, his wife, are expecting their first and my first grandchild. Oh, dude. In March. So we're about a month out. He's in his third year med school rotations, and she works for a financial services company. They're they're doing great. Oh. They're here in Bettendorf right now for the third year rotation, so we get to see them. And then uh, my daughter, Alyssa, works for the Air Force Academy in their sports department, um, director of community uh, engagement and game day experience, stuff like that. She's love in Colorado Springs. She's engaged to be married in October. So we've got a big year ahead. What a terrible place to visit. I know. Come it's see awesome. me, Dad, out in Colorado Springs. Yeah. I, I can't I anything you think about being a grandparent, it's it's not nearly as fun as you really? it's gonna actually be. Okay. There's nothing like it on earth. I'm just I'm excited for you and your spouse. It's yeah it's the We're best excited. kid going. Well, you know, Jackson was my first, so that certainly changed your life, that yeah. first child. And sure. So uh, to have a grandchild on the way is, is really special so i appreciate the kind words and yeah. we'll let you know we're very excited any chance they're going to be thinking about settling here you mentioned residency so they've still got to do some travel yeah, they've but... got some traveling fourth year uh rotations and then uh matching a residency program so god knows where they'll be i'd, I'd love them to come back we certainly yeah. need surgeons yeah. in our area so that's what he thinks he wants to do um you know other than spending time with family we enjoy boating you know I play a little bit of golf every once in a while, four or five times a year. I enjoy it, just don't have time for it. But mostly it's uh, family time and yeah. and going and, and visiting kids. And, yeah. You know, Nothing both my like parents it. are alive in here in Bettendorf, so oh, we spend some good. time with them. And good. dad still comes into the office every day. Does so, he really? Yeah. 79. What a gift. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. What a gift. Well, you know, you got kids, I got kids, but few people had more kids then Johann Sebastian Bach. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, Bob. Just All right. bear with me here. Yeah, you better pull me along. I'm missing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel a little bit... Uh, it, I've been remiss in that uh, when, when Don was the custodian of this show for decades, one of the people he introduced me to was PDQ Bach, the mythical, forgotten 24th, 25th, whatever kid of J.S. Bach, right? And uh, he was an invention of a guy named Peter Schickele who was a great comic genius, who billed himself as a professor of music pathology at Northern South Dakota University in Hoople. Nice. And he actually came, and I think at Don's invitation, or had something to do with it, and gave a concert here at, at Centennial Hall back maybe in the 80s? I don't know. But this guy was a genius uh, under the guise of expounding the music of PDQ Bach, right? And he passed away. And he passed away uh, last month, January 16th, to be precise, at the age of 88, and I felt bad that I didn't make some note of that. I mean, this guy uh, exposed us to all kinds 
of uh, classics that we never heard of. PDQ Bach wrote the Half Nelson Mass instead of the Lord Nelson Mass. There's a wrestling there um, yeah. reference, reference right there. Eine kleine Nichtmusik instead of Eine kleine Nachtmusik. But there's one piece that he did, Bob, that stands above head and shoulders everything else that fella did. And that was a little something called the Beethoven Symphony Number no. 5 Sportscast. And as a tribute to our dear friend, PDQ Bach, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the Beethoven Symphony Number no. 5. If I can get to the right buttons here, that's always the challenge, right? The Symphony Number no. 5 Sportscast. Good evening, music fans. Here we are at Philharmonic Hall in New York Mills, Minnesota. It's a beautiful night for a concert. There's not a cloud in the ceiling. And there's quite a crowd out here. Uh, about how many do you think there are, Bob? Oh, I don't know, Pete. Well, neither do I, but it's quite a crowd. And I think they're looking forward to hearing the New York Mills Philharmonic playing against the Danish conductor, Heilige Dankesang. And here he comes now, ascending the podium. And the players are all lined up and ready to begin the first inning of Beethoven's Symphony No. 5 in C minor. four-note theme. It's very exciting. The beginning of a symphony is always very exciting, folks. I don't know whether it's slow or fast yet because it keeps stopping. It doesn't seem to be able to get off the ground yet. And it looks like, yes, it looks like we're coming up to a cadence here, folks. Uh, the violins didn't cut off there. A little trouble with the violins. They weren't watching. And there's that four-note theme again, folks. And another stop. Just can't seem to get this piece off the ground. Now it seems to be rolling a little bit. Seems to be building up. Tell me, Bob, do you think you call that four-note idea a theme or a motif? Well, the uh, technical term would be motif, that he uses to build a theme. I see. Thanks for setting me straight about that, Bob. Well, we're heading into the second theme section here, and we can expect a little modulation down there. Wow, did you hear that, Bob? Somebody down there in the horn section really flubbed that note. That was one of the worst fumbles I think I've ever witnessed in all my days. I think it was number one, wasn't it, Bob? Yes, it was, Pete. That was uh, Bobby Cornell in the first chair, and that's the third major flub he's made this season, giving him a solo average for the season of approximately 0.247355, which is pretty darn low for a first chair man. You think there's some chance he might be sold to another orchestra? Well, it's hard to say, Pete. Uh, Cornell's very good in the long solos, things like the uh, rock climbing off my concerto. So I think if he pulls himself together a bit, uh, they'll probably keep him around. Although I suppose he might. Well, I think it's him. development time down there now, Bob. Uh, let's see what's going to happen. The horns are starting it off. Uh, they seem to be in pretty good shape now, and I get the feeling that we're probably going to be hearing a lot of that four note motif, don't you, Bob? Yes, I do, Pete. So do I, Bob. Well, they obviously are stuck with that four note motif, and uh, they're going to be fooling around with it for quite a while. You notice it's pretty hot in here, Bob? Uh, yes, I do, Pete. Yeah, I think the uh, air conditioning has gone off, which is just one of the things. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's something going on down there on the stage, folks. There's something happening down there. It's really building up tension. The crowd is getting very excited. The brasses have come in and the timpani and everybody, and it's extremely exciting. I think we're building up to a fugue. No, the basses are not picking up the theme, folks. It is not a fugue. The violins tried to make it one, but the basses are not following up. No, instead of a few folks, he seems to be taking the theme and breaking it up into little pieces. Just two notes left of that theme now being thrown around from player to player. And it's getting softer and softer down there, folks. I think they're losing steam. They seem to be running out of steam. And it's just getting a little bit lethargic down there, if you want to know the truth. It's gotten down to one note now. And things are... Wait a minute. 
The brasses have come in and tried to pep things up. A welcome relief, but I'm afraid to no avail. Things are still pretty somber. Wait a minute. They hear they come again. They're really determined. It sounds very familiar. And I think we've reached the recap. Bob, don't you? There's no doubt about it, Keith. Your average Beethoven symphony usually has a recap right after the uh, second quarter, and this one is falling right into line. Well, let's see if those violins can cut off with the rest of the orchestra and the cadence is coming up. Wait a minute. This time it's the oboe holding the note too long. Wait, he's, he's playing a cadenza. He must be out of his mind. He thinks it's an oboe concerto. The conductor's standing down there. He doesn't know what to do. Have you ever heard anything like that, Bob? I certainly haven't, Pete. I think it was a disgraceful display of lack of teamsmanship. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Highwood's name wasn't on the roster next season, although I must say that the fans really seem to go for these uh, outbursts of temper. Well, I always say, Bob, professional music teams wouldn't exist without the spectators. Anyway, we're into the home stretch here with the second theme coming up, and we should be in C minor right up to the double bar. Wait a minute. That's really something, Bob. The piece is billed as being in C minor, and yet it looks like it's going to end in C major. It's really something, Pete. Well, I think it's something that the Composers Commission ought to look into, and I suspect that they will as soon as this uh, gets out. But it looks like it's going to be an ending anyway. Things are building up a little there. The violins have really gotten a hold of things. They're really beginning to roll. And now he's adding all the woodwinds there. He's thrown in all his brass and the timpani, and it's duty all the way, folks. He's got a great piece on his hands here, and he looks like he's really coming into the home stretch. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. Hey, Bob? Yeah, Pete, it's been a good I think he can really have something to be proud of himself here. Wait a minute! The brasses are taking the theme! They're not letting it stop! They're taking the theme and running ahead! Bob, this piece is definitely going to go into overtime. I can see that. The crowd is going wild. They're standing up on their feet. They're jumping. They're stomping. They're yelling. And let me tell you that down on that stage, the players are doing a bit of running around themselves. Nobody, but nobody knows where the theme is. The audience, not the players, nobody knows where that theme is. Everybody is running around, and believe me, it's very exciting. This is the kind of thing that only happens once in ten years, folks. They've got a new theme going on down there. I can't believe it. Bob, do you know where this new theme comes from? Well, Pete, it probably comes from, uh... No, I don't, Pete. Well, they're tossing it around now. Uh, the woodwinds have it, and then the strings have it. Nobody seems to be able to keep his hands on that theme. It's getting tossed around from player to player, from section to section. And believe me, folks, the audience is just as confused as the players is about who is going to have that theme finally. Wait a minute. The strings have got a hold of it. The strings have got a hold of that theme, and they are not going to let go. What's this? I can't believe my ears. It sounds as if it's another recap. It sounds as if he's going right back to the beginning. If this is true, it's the first time it's happened in 10 years of concert casting. Wait, wait a minute. Those sound like final chords, though. This may be... That may be it, folks. I'm looking down at the referee. Yes, yes, that is it. That is the end of the piece. The players are taking off their helmets, and the conductor has turned around and is acknowledging the cheers of the crowd. Well, it was quite a symphony, wasn't it, Bob? It was quite a symphony, Pete, and I think the fans uh, feel that they got their money worth. So do I, Bob. And I don't think there's any doubt about who won this contest, either. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the critics slap a stiff penalty on some of the players, particularly Bobby Corno. Neither would I, Pete. And, of course, this was a very important victory for Haile uh, Gadankazong since it puts him right up there at the top of the conductor's league. That's right, Bob. That means that he'll be up against the Fargo-Moorhead Symphony in the World 12-Tone Series next month.
And uh, let's see, they not only lead the Orchestral League, but I think they're unbeaten this season, aren't they, Bob? You said it, Pete, and if uh, Nakazan can win four concerts off them, he'll be the first conductor to earn the pennant since uh, Toscanini. Well, that's quite a challenge, Bob. Now I think I'd better be heading down to the locker rooms to have a chat with Dunkazong himself. Well, Pete, I think he was supposed to be doing a baton commercial after the concert, but uh, why didn't you give it a try? I'll do that, Bob. So for now, this is Pete Chickaly and uh, Bob Dennis signing off for the wonderful wide world of notes. Oh, PDQ Bach, Peter Schickele. I'm sorry, Bob, that was probably just way <laughs> too... But, you know, back in the day, this was one of the things Don used to do. This show that we're on now used to go for three hours. So Don had to come up with all kinds of stuff to kill time. <laughs> he did whole album sides of 28 minutes. But he introduced this community, I think, to PDQ Bach, and uh, we're grateful to him for it. And unfortunately, Peter Schickele... The genius behind it just passed away January 16th. And when you're important enough to have your obit published in The Economist, you know that uh, you've done a few things right, which happened to him. But friends, my guest is is Bob Gallagher. Now, I mentioned this before, Bob. We're, we're talking a little bit about happiness and how that's a... Um, a, a tactical advantage. But uh, friends, if there's a subject you'd like to hear talked about on Saturday Morning Live, Portions Recorded, there's an easy way to do it. Send me an email at sml, and you can guess what that stands for, sml at wvik.org. But right now, I'm grateful to my guest, uh, Bob Gallagher, and I'll, I'll put it to you on that one, too. I think a key to happiness as a tactical advantage is gratitude. You you got to pay attention to what's happening in your life. And if it's something that's probably better than you deserve, it's helpful to be grateful. I certainly agree with that. Sure. Well, some of the things, what are the things you're grateful for on a, on the regular? Yeah. I mean, I think you're always grateful for friends and yep. family and, you know, to wake up tomorrow morning and, and give this thing called life another shot. Mm -hmm. But I think um, as we look around in some of the teams we've built, I'm very grateful for um, the relationships that I have with other leaders in the community i um, grateful for the positive effect that those relationships can have. I'm grateful for how we continue to have some momentum in the city of Bettendorf and throughout the Quad Cities and doing some of the things that we've started to do, right? It, it's that process we talked about, and it's a long process in many uh, um, occasions or instances, but uh, you have to have some gratitude along the way. When you start chipping away at those long-term goals, then, you know, there there's there's some wins. Those days, uh, you, you've got to celebrate and be grateful uh, that you're making progress. One of those great days was probably the uh, dedication of the I-74 bridge. Oh, that, that was must awesome. have been fantastic. And our, our mutual friend, uh, who probably disavows us both, uh, Decker Plain, was <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of all that. And so was the city of Bettendorf, of course. Yeah, yeah, a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, about 30 years of work to get the I-74 bridge done. Um, thanks to Ray LaHood, who yep. came and stood under the last one, and he'll be here soon again. So we're pleased that that uh, bridge has been erected. It's an awesome bridge. It's very iconic. It's certainly a uh, transportation plus, but I think that's it's more than that. Yeah. And that day we got to cut the ribbon was a beautiful day in December, mm -hmm. if you'll recall. Mm -hmm. No snow, about 50 degrees, so I was grateful that we weren't standing in 20 below weather, which is uh, certainly something yeah. that isn't... Yeah. Can happen in December. Sure. I was grateful to watch you from a distance, but because of Visit Quad Cities, I was uh, the board member selected to go to a conference up in Chicago. I couldn't okay. be here that day, oh, but I was watching y'all. And sure. it, was, it was a great, great time. Yeah. Great time. And you mentioned Ray LaHood. I got to say, 
you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about this, but he said he had one of the most poignant observations. Uh, he gave a lecture at Augustana. We have this series called the Curtis Lecture Series in Public Affairs. And this is back in about 2016, so kind of plant that in the chronology. And he said at the time, he said, the problem we're facing as a democracy is we are electing to office people who don't believe in the offices to which they're elected. And so I true. let that dwell for, man, that is, and he was right. And, you know, his son is now in Congress, uh, Peoria area, and Ray is still doing great things uh, all over the nation and was gratefully a part of our uh, project and celebrations. But I think about that a lot. And know? it makes a whole lot of sense. Right. And how and, frustrating is that? Well, it is, but, you know, there's things that you and I can do, and that reminds me, the next Curtis Lecture is coming up March 4th, which is a week from Monday, and our guest, and Mayor, I hope you'll consider yourself invited, it's a free lecture, is Emerson Sykes from the ACLU. He's a senior staff attorney. He's going to talk about freedom of expression and freedom of, of thought in a polarized world. Now, I... Are we? Well, I guess we're a little polarized, but <laughs> but I hope folks will come out and listen to that. That'll be Monday, March 4th, 7 p.m. in Wallenberg Hall at Augustana. Come here, Emerson Sykes. But there's a lot of good stuff going on around here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. in the entire area. And you, we were talking about you. Uh, see, I think a lot of the wins that uh, happen behind the scenes, people don't know about. But you're part of a, a great organization that's promoting the Rock Island Arsenal. And that work doesn't get celebrated often enough because... The arsenal is here and is strong and is is rooted in our community. And you and I have been around long enough. We've known there have been times with BRACs and that kind of thing where right. it wasn't so uh, definite. But tell me a little bit about your work on that. Yeah, I'm grateful that we get together as a region and work on so many different issues. One of them you cite is the Rock Island Arsenal. And it's been different iterations over the years, but there's always been a group of the five mayors of the largest cities and the two counties, we call it the big seven, and and some other folks throughout the community, especially those now who have retired from the arsenal, who work on issues to help promote the arsenal, to help uh, insulate the arsenal from future uh, base uh, realignment and closure kind of talks, that BRAC mm -hmm. talk, mm -hmm. and finds ways to... Um, kind of endear the arsenal to the community and vice versa, get the community onto the arsenal to learn more about what the arsenal is about. So we enjoy that work. And those are some small wins here and there. Um, but building great relationships again, helps us to solve these kinds of problems. Well, another great win was the reconceptualization of the museum. Absolutely. I know you were part of that big celebration. That yeah, was a great I got deal to go. Yeah. And we've had Patrick Alley on the show. I probably get him back on the show at some point to talk about this stuff. But in terms of looking ahead over the horizon, what are some things that are exciting you about the the, the year ahead in the Quad Cities? Well, I think um, that uh, the the continued commercial growth in Bettendorf mm -hmm. and the tourism growth throughout the area. If we can continue to percolate at TBK Bank Sports Complex and it can bring in the, say, $50 million of other people's money that it's been averaging over the past five years each and every year, that money spreads through the community. That allows us to do more things in arts and culture and do more things with less money from our own taxpayers because right. we're borrowing others. We're using other people's money. Sure. And it's a great thing for us to introduce people to our community. So on the visit board, I'm very uh, excited about that strategic plan and moving forward, uh, those personality inventories that we're working on so we can work together as a board. I'm excited to learn uh, how that fits together. I'm excited for the things that might be coming in downtown Bettendorf and our continued contribution to the growth of the area. And 
I'm real excited about um, continuing to build those relationships throughout the entire community, because if we can continue to work together, we can achieve so much more than five, six, seven cities working apart. I, I can't stress that enough. I always tell friends, why do you care about tourism and visitor economy? Well, if we can take a dollar from somebody in Duluth, Dallas, or Decatur, that's a dollar we don't have to pay in taxes. Sounds pretty good to me. It's very good. Yeah. Well, uh, those are some things that we're looking forward to. I'm just so grateful that you with all the stuff you've got going, we're able to find some time to be here. So, yeah, Saturday but, morning, not too tough to find some time most most weeks. But tell me about what you've got in store for this weekend, because I know it's going to be a, coming right back to wrestling. Yeah, well, you know, my beloved Hawkeyes are wrestling this afternoon, so we're going to take a little watch. Hopefully they can uh, knock off the Cowboys down in Stillwater. <laughs> That's a tough. Yeah, it'll be a really hope. good, uh, really good meet to watch and yeah. spend some time with my wife. I'm sure I've got a little list of things that I might be able to do around the house to keep. <laughs> yeah. Remember gratitude. Yeah, right <laughs> it's the here. process. It's the process, baby. It's the process. You did mention some TBK things. Now I, I noticed in your talk this week, uh, there's going to be a new pedestrian bridge. Yeah, is that going to be linked into trail systems? Somehow? Yeah, this will be an how... awesome bridge yeah. that is going to be parallel to I-80. The reason it's going to be kind of more grandiose is it's a great gateway entrance to our town. It's going to connect trails from Davenport to LeClaire, give us all an opportunity to stop off at the Plex, maybe get something to eat, go shopping while we use that trail system. And it's being paid for by the tax increment from the developer's work, not taxpayer money. Right. Right. Well, I'm I'm excited by that, but I'm a I'm a big trails guy. Yeah, you're and a big biker. And so get plugged into that uh, some of the other stuff because you've already got some great trails in Bettendorf. We'll be uh, working on Middle Road out yeah. to. Forest right, Grove, right, and we'll have the separated trail. Yeah, that is, you know, in that spot that's kind of empty right now. Yeah, up past Hopewell. Hopewell. So we'll get you on that trail, and you got Fifty Third Street Trail that can get you all the way to Davenport, and we'll get you out to Princeton and back, and you'll have a ball. So when I was much younger, it was a lot easier to ride the roads in Scott County, Rock Island County, go down to Mercer, Henry, all over the place. Uh, go to places like Lowmore and uh, sure. Elvira and things like that. But I got to say, one thing that's changed in the last couple of decades is drivers are very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to be a biker on a road in America right now. So I'm it's glad for what you're trail. doing. I'm yeah. glad for what you're doing. Hey, friends, I'm so glad you joined us, too. Uh, this has been a wonderful chance to talk with Bob Gallagher, the mayor of, Mo of Bettendorf, Iowa. Thank you for being with us. I hope, uh, you, friends, you're going to join us next week. Next week, uh, my guest will be President Amy Novak from St. Ambrose University. And oh, fantastic. Fun, but I appreciate your time. She's on. doing great stuff. Oh, she's doing amazing stuff. Yeah. So thank you very much for that. Now i got to take care of a little bit of business here, friends, and that is to let you know that support for WVI comes from Nahant Marsh, hosting the Oberholzer Awards on March 9th at the Bend Event Center. It's a recognition of local conservationists that benefits the Nahant Marsh Education Center. That's located right along the Mississippi River. Tickets and more info at nahantmarsh.org. This is going to be a great day to get out and about, friends. It's going to be sunny skies with a high in the low 40s. Southeast winds, about 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight it's going to be clear with an overnight low still just a little bit above freezing than sunny. Sunday with a high near 62 degrees. So all these great things that Mayor Gallagher has talked about out and about in the Quad Cities, you have no excuse. Get out there. Now, earlier, friends, we talked about this, this idea of how about we go deep on a topic. If you've got a topic you'd like to hear discussed on Saturday Morning Live, portions recorded, send me an email, sml 
at wvik.org, and I'd sure appreciate it. And I appreciate you listening today, friends. Tune in next time, and you'll hear it right here on Quad Cities NPR, WVIK, 90.3 FM and HD in Rock Island, and at 95.9 FM, K240DZ in Dubuque. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is up next, but first here's news from, uh, or first we'll hear news from NPR. (laughs) 